You know, we're living through a digital transformation of medicine, and that means we have much more data than about our bodies than we ever could imagine before. The question is, are we using that data to minimize the risk of surgery to have better outcomes? And that was the experiment that we set out to try to work on here. I'm Heather Bushman for N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. And I'm Scott Lafee. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. Today on N Equals One, we have a truly N Equals One patient story. The patient, whose voice you just heard, has for many years been the quantified man measuring everything about himself, even long before the advent of Fitbit and other wearable health monitors. He tracks his weight, steps, sleep, heart rate, everything you could imagine, and has amassed an amazing amount of data, even as he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, a type of inflammatory bowel disease, or IBD. And more recently, even as he underwent surgery to remove part of his colon. Yeah, so basically we're talking about Larry Smar, a professor of computer science and engineering at UC San Diego, Jacobs School of Engineering, and founding director of the CalIT2 Institute, which covers both UC San Diego and UC Irvine. As a result of all that data that you were talking about that Larry has gathered over the years on his body and the imaging capabilities at UC San Diego School of Medicine and uh, UC San Diego Health, he had this extraordinary opportunity and willingness to explore his body and the willingness of his surgeons to try something new on his body, a procedure that was not like anything before. Now this is a very visual story, so before we get into it, know that you can also go to health.ucsd.edu slash quantified surgery for video and images. Okay, so what was wrong with Larry and what kind of surgery did he need? Well, for years, Larry had suffered from inflammatory bowel disease, but he had had relatively few overt symptoms. Uh, and his doctors, pretty much before he came to UC San Diego, had advised a wait-and-see attitude. Uh, but as Larry was gathering this data as a scientist trying to better understand what was happening inside him, his data suggested something was wrong. Eventually, his symptoms caught up with his disease, and he faced the prospect of surgery. Um, and in his case, they needed to remove a section of his large intestine that was kinked and chronically inflamed. Here's how he describes it. Essentially, I was almost blocked. That's when I decided I had to have the surgery because I could see the change in looking at the MRIs as well as the colonoscopy, and I could tell if I didn't get this out, it was going to explode and when I was on the road or something I'd have to have emergency surgery and that would have had a very bad outcome. So I've known this for several years. It was really only in 2016 when I started getting more and more of a bloat. My wife said I looked like I was pregnant. <laughs> um, and that's when I knew this was coming to a point where we had to have surgery. Okay, so Larry's surgeon needed to remove part of his colon. How was his surgery unique? Well, it wasn't so much the procedure itself, which is called a colectomy. Uh, it's a serious but not uncommon surgical procedure. It just means either in the most serious cases, the removal of the entire large intestine, or in Larry's case, just a part of it. 
These days it's often done laparoscopically, which means surgeons operate through just a few small incisions rather than on a single large opening. In Larry's case, they even went a step further in that they used the latest generation Da Vinci robot to assist. But what really set Larry's procedure apart was what happened before he ever got into the operating room. Oh. He had been working with colleagues and computer scientists at Cal IT2 to develop 3D models of his colon. Oh, so using all of this data he'd been collecting and putting it into something useful. Exactly. And actually I've given many tours through my body. But until a date was set for my surgery and it was really me that was going to get my colon resected, it hadn't occurred to me that we could use that as a pre-surgical planning tool for the surgeon. Um, and then because Sonia was so open-minded. That's Dr. Sonia Ramamurthy, Chief of Colon and Rectal Surgery at UC San Diego Health and Larry's surgeon. Uh, and I could tell right away that she was really interested in the future. She wanted to have the latest technology. That's why she's a leader in robotic surgery nationally. And so as we talked about it, I said, well, I had an MRI, which was high resolution and 3D digital information. It was being stored at the UC San Diego Health electronic medical record, but it wasn't being converted into a 3D transparent Larry that she could look around before she did the surgery and understand where the key critical points would be. We could be planning this surgery before you go inside of me. And she said, wow, I've never done that in 20 years. Let's go do it. And so we brought her over here to Atkinson Hall and brought my uh, 3D up uh, version up and she was able to instantly find uh, three critical points in the surgery that had to do with where the part she was going to cut out was. Um, it was sitting on top of my bladder so that was delicate and then she had to pull down the large intestine to make up for the eight inches she was going to take out and she was able to essentially have a 3D Google map of the inside of me, see what the difficult points would be and thereby plan out the five hours of the surgery without having to discover this, <laughs> the particularities of my insides, which everyone is different, once she was in there. A transparent Larry, I love it. I love the idea of having your surgeon walk through a 3D model of your body before even operating on it. How is this particular procedure usually planned and carried out? I presume that's not usually the case. Generally, most surgeons rely on three basic types of information before they go into the OR. The patient's self-reported symptoms, a physical exam, and tests from blood work to imaging like x-rays or MRIs. Here's Dr. Ramamurthy. So, you know, when we see a patient in clinic, um, they're often referred to us with the idea that maybe they need an operation. And so part of our job is to talk to them, figure out what the problem is, and also figure out if an operation is going to help them. We kind of rely on a couple different ways of thinking about that. You know, one huge component is talking to the patient and understanding what their symptoms are. What if I have pain in this location? 
Another aspect of that is our physical exam. So when we examine them, you know, do we feel something? Do we see something that we have a target to go towards? And then the last component are, are tests and studies that we obtain on patients to help us see things that we can't see with the naked eye or can't get a sense of from what they're describing in their symptoms. So that includes laboratory studies, their x-ray studies. And so you can imagine those are the three things that we go into an operation with. And while that's great and it's worked for us for the last hundred years, you know, we believe we could do better. Yikes, that makes surgery sound like a lot of guesswork and not a whole lot of science. Well, there is a lot of science and teaching of the art of medicine, but it usually comes well before a surgeon ever picks up a scalpel. A good surgeon generally knows what to expect when they get into the OR and how to react to unexpected complications sure. or surprises. But still, that's the point of quantified surgery. There's a lot more that can be done to personalize the surgical experience. Mm. If you've ever been a patient, when we consent you for surgery, we consent you for what we are most likely to do, and then we consent you for all the things that we might do, which, as you can imagine, is a little bit disconcerting for a patient to sort of agree to, and it's not that we, we want to leave it as an amorphous plan, but there are some things that we're going to encounter that we don't have a sense of until we actually get in there. And even today, there are some operations where I will have to tell the patient, well, it might go this way or it might go that way, depending on what I find when I get in there. And certainly, we're in an age where we get a lot of information, so our scans are great, our MRIs are great, but none of that stuff is integrated into what we're doing in the operating room at that moment. So we have as much information as we can get before surgery in a medical record, but then when we get in there, it's me and the patient and my assistants and, and then my memory of everything that I know about them. That's why Sonia was so eager to improve the pre-op planning process with Larry. Who goes into a football game without having studied, you know, the opponent's typical sort of patterns and makes a strategy for what they're going to do? And we do that, but then if you don't know what you're going to encounter, how can you sort of plan properly for how you're going to approach it? So tell me a little bit more about Larry's quantified surgery itself. What was it like for Sonia as the surgeon to be surrounded by so much extra information and imaging during the procedure? Well, I was there and it was quite a scene. First, the operating room is really quite large. It's like two big living rooms combined. But yet it was still packed. Larry was there in the middle on a table surrounded by technology. On one side there was the Da Vinci robot with its four arms waiting to be rolled up and do its work. On the other side was Dr. Ramamurthy's control station for the Da Vinci with multiple monitors and yet she wasn't actually looking at Larry, she was looking at the wall. Oh. <laughs> uh, there were racks of computers and devices, lots of buzz and crackle and beeps. Uh, on one wall there was this huge screen that could display four different types of images all at once, Larry's 3D colon model, his MRIs, the actual live view inside his gut. There were other monitors around the room. It was like a Best Buy TV showroom. <laughs> and, and of course, there were lots of people, the surgery team, nurses, technicians, me, a camera crew. Here's Dr. Ramamurthy describing a little bit of how she saw things. That information was kind of up in the operating room for me to see in a three-dimensional way. So I knew exactly where I wanted to make my specific incisions and that, and I knew exactly what 
area was going to cause more challenges for me and obstacles for me during the operation. So I was able to kind of move through things that I knew very quickly and then get to the areas that I knew I was going to have to spend more time on because I already knew what the problem was going to be and I had set up my instruments and my robot in such a way that would facilitate me getting through those, those challenges operatively very easily. I wouldn't have known any of that stuff. I couldn't have anticipated that stuff just by looking at the plain MRIs the way we get them today and doing some of the studies we do today. So could I have gotten through the operation? Sure, it would have taken longer. My robotic setup would not have been ideal, so we would have struggled a little bit more. And you know, to alleviate all of that stress and add a time in the operating room, it, it's, it's a huge difference. So that kind of describes the visual or physical aspects of the operating room, but more importantly, Dr. Ramamurthy found that it changed the way she thought about the task and what she was doing. She was integrating all of that information at once and it was rather enlightening. And then there's a whole other side of it, which is just kind of your brain integration, right? Now you're seeing three different views of the same thing. You know, one is a 3D model, one is the actual image that you're seeing in the operating room of your patient, another is an interluminal picture of the patient. And kind of just processing all that in your head as a surgeon to, to decide your next move um, is, you know, that's kind of a skill set and that's training. And I think we all have to kind of get that technology in there so we can start training our brains for that. I think about my children, right? I don't want them sitting in front of a TV with their iPad and the music going at the same time. But the idea here is that this information is coming to you uh, before surgery, and so your brain has had time to sort of integrate it into everything, and now you just sort of want all of this stuff put together for you in the operating room. So you're looking at what you need in the moment. So at times I would look at my 3D model and tell them to, to kind of angle it in a way that sort of mimics what I'm seeing intra-op. So as I keep moving through that area, you see, you see. And, and it also was incredibly helpful. A whole other aspect of this was the teaching. You know, the residents that are in the room and the nurses that are in the room, like, you see this, guys. You understand what we're doing here. Do you see this plane? This is where you want to be. This is how we want to approach this. And so, you know, a lot of things going on at the same time, and it's all the stuff that we already do in surgery, but it, it, um, it was integrated in a way that I didn't see it for the first time at that moment. I was, I was already visualizing it before surgery. My brain was already working on it before surgery, so when I got in there, which is different than what we do today, right? I encounter things at that moment today and have to deal with it. At least I've had time to process it from before. Okay, so they used all of this data about Larry and his colon to plan out his surgery beforehand and know where they might encounter issues and then they used it as a guide during surgery too. Which sounds super cool, but let's drill down. I don't think I fully understand the technical aspect. How did they get the 3D model of Larry's colon that Dr. Ramamurthy used before and during the surgery? Well, here's where Larry is a bit unique. Though his underlying point is that what he did doesn't have to be unique at all. Larry had already been working with Jurgen Schulz, an associate research scientist and colleague at the Qualcomm Institute at UC San Diego. Jurgen was an expert at manipulating visual data. Larry asked him to create a new view of his colon. Here's Jurgen recalling that moment. So the first time that Larry asked me to visualize some of his data was about three years ago when he had just had an MRI scan done, and uh, I've been working on virtual reality visualization of medical data for a long time, over 15 years. So he came to me and asked me to visualize the MRI scan, and so I took it and we brought it up in the Star Cave, which is our biggest virtual reality environment, and it looked great. I think of an MRI as a 2D image. How did Jurgen get the 3D view of Larry's colon? 
Well, it's pretty cool. He takes MRI slices from the scanner and stacks them up like pancakes, creating a 3D model. So when I first got the MRI that he brought me, I did exactly that, took the slices and looked at that part of his body with the colon and everything around it in 3D, in virtual reality. And it looked really good. It was very clear where which organ was and how everything was arranged. And um, from that point on, it turned into our go-to tool in order to visualize his MRI and CAT scans along the way. And how does that translate to the operating room? Well, Jurgen's work brought virtual reality into the reality of the OR. It's what they all saw on the many screens in the OR, what Sonia looked at before the surgery and again during the surgery to help guide her. Jurgen has his own explanation. So what I ended up doing was I took the original scan and the 3D model and I segmented out the organs that mattered for the surgery, which were the colon and the spleen and the bladder and the ureters and the major blood vessels. And um, that can take a long time to segment out these organs because you have to go through slice by slice and mark where the organs are. And then I combined all these cross-sections into a 3D model that was able to display on a monitor and you were able to see reasonably well where all these organs were on a, 3D, on a regular monitor in the operating room. It must have been weird for Jurgen, a computer guy being there in the OR. Yeah, when, when Larry first told him he would need to be in the OR to run the visualization technology, his first question was about whether there would be blood. There will be blood. <laughs> Though with minimally invasive surgery, actually there's very little blood. Anyway, Jurgen was there, and here's what went through his head as he watched. So as a computer scientist, you're used to dealing with data, and you're, you're looking at it in a, in a way that's very abstract. Um, when it comes to this work, the big difference to me was that it wasn't just data, but it was data that mattered for the surgery of Larry Smarr, who runs the center that I work for. And he um, was on the operating table, and my data would matter for his surgery. So that was a whole different way of approaching the importance of the work that I did and also the potential consequences. So I, I was uh, making sure that the data was all accurate, that it was all um, formatted the way and displayed the way that it should be. And that, was, that brought a whole different level of excitement to the work that I was doing. This sounds really exciting, but let's talk results, right? Just because something you're doing something in this new shiny way doesn't mean it's necessarily better. So in what ways did this new, quantified, data-driven, 3D approach make the procedure, or Larry, better? Well, I think we'll all agree that the goal of any advancement in surgical technique or technology is to make the procedure shorter, easier, simpler. That's good for the patient and good for the surgeon. Less time in the OR, less time under anesthesia means a faster recovery and a better outcome. I'll let Sonia explain. So if we had done this case over a year ago, we would simply have relied on CT scans in two dimensions, uh, our lab, our physical exam, our history of what was going on. We would have put a, a scope in to take a look and, and get a sense of kind of the architecture of things and put in our robotic instruments uh, in such a way that we do for everybody, kind of the standard approach to everything. And then I think we would have encountered some problems there because we've been like, oh, you know, this is here and this is going on there and we didn't necessarily anticipate that. Do we manage those things? You know, absolutely. But does it take longer uh, and does it require a little bit more dissection, sometimes a little bit more trauma to the tissue than we had expected because we weren't anticipating this? 
um, that's what would have happened a year ago. I think Larry would have been fine, but it would have been a different operation. And how is our patient doing now? Very good, and typical of the quantified man, he saw his recovery as another way to explore technology and take control of his own health care. <laughs> Some of that was very forward thinking and involved additional data gathering with sensors all over his stomach about what was happening inside his abdomen. Oh. Uh, all post-op, he, he worried that he was terrifying his nurses, but uh, <laughs> he assured them that it was all part of the process. But a lot of it was pretty simple. The day after surgery, Larry began measuring his recovery in steps, literally. You know, I had to um, be a little bit of a non-standard patient in that I knew I was going to bring technology into the recovery room in the new Jacobs Medical Center uh, that wouldn't normally be there. So one of the main things is I had my uh, Fitbit, which was measuring not only my heart rate, but also all of the steps that I took. That was important because the nurses and doctors all told me uh, in the week or two after surgery, the most important thing for your recovery is to get up and walk. Now in the hospital, that means call, pulling along your IV tower and your oxygen tank. And so, you know, that's complex for a patient to do. But on the other hand, I was knowing how much I was walking each day and I would set a goal the next day of say 500 steps more. And so actually by the end of the two weeks, I was up to 10,000 steps a day uh, back at home. Uh, and I had been at 10,000 steps a day the day before the operation. That was considered remarkable in terms of how quickly uh, I was recovering. But it's because I, the patient, had the feedback of what I was doing. So just saying walk isn't nearly as good as saying 500 steps more every day. And I can do that, no doctor, no nurses. And so this is part of the empowerment of the patient, but it's coupling the doctor's suggestions <laughs> with the new consumer technology. Like many people that have an abdominal problem, it was getting worse and worse. It was ruining my life. I feel like a new man. I feel like I'm like 20 years younger. Um, I love my new colon. It works great. And I just think this is a fabulous outcome and I'm so happy we could do it at UC San Diego. So what's the future of quantified surgery? Will this approach one day be accessible to all patients or at least more patients? Well, I mean, we're talking about N equals one, a unique trial in which the N or the sample number equals just one patient, and Larry was, certainly was that. You know, he recognizes that his particular circumstances, his knowledge, his resources, his connections, made this all possible. Mm -hmm. But he th also thinks that his case is just the start, that the goal is really to create some sort of precision, personalized surgery that's available to everyone. And here's Larry elaborating on his vision. Well, that turned out to be a good experiment because uh, Sonia was able to show that these new digital techniques were quite helpful in the surgery. Now the beautiful thing about things that are digital is that they're exponentially decreasing in cost over time, just like your computer or your smartphone gets faster and faster for the same money. So what that means is um, we will be able to take this software from this one-off experiment, make it much more general and usable, and then train 
young surgeons uh, in the use of this along with the robot right in the same facility that UC San Diego has for training robotic surgery. Um, it's just really an additional component to what they're going to do, but it, it takes the radiology experts and the surgery experts and helps bring them closer together. Um, and it also, I think, helps the patient. When the patient can see before the surgery exactly what the surgeon is going to do, not in technical terms, but in technicolor uh, in 3D, it gives a peace of mind to the patient. They help them understand what it is that they're about to go through and therefore makes it possible to have much more of a patient-surgeon partnership. And here's Jurgen. So in the future, we're hoping that we can use this technique for a lot more surgeries and really make it commonplace in the operating room. And what it takes to make that happen is that we're gonna have to make the process easier and faster. That's possible though, because the, um, no part in the process is really one that requires a person to sit there and do all the work. Um, a lot of the work can be done by the computer if the, the computer just knows how to do it. And there's also machine learning these days that's been very successfully applied in many disciplines related to what we're doing in this project. So the hope is that we can combine all these technologies in order to make it possible for a surgeon to use this technique on an everyday basis, ideally with every surgery when it makes sense, and make it simple enough to use for the surgeon so that they can you know, just push a button basically and bring it up in the operating room to help with their surgery. Now that we know this is valuable in surgery, what we're going to do is simplify the software, make it a much better user interface, and then train up uh, a bunch of our surgeons in the use of it and get another 10 patients or 100 patients using it. Wow, I'm excited to follow this as it hopefully becomes more mainstream. And I can't wait to hear what Larry finds to quantify next. Yeah, me too, although uh, the thought of that is a bit frightening. <laughs> Just remember, if you're listening to this and you'd like to see what we've been talking about, there's the video and lots of images at health.ucsd.edu forward slash quantified surgery. That's it for this episode. I'm Heather. And I'm Scott. Thanks for joining us.